Hello and welcome to the Bite Sized Gaming Podcast, a podcast that's serving up a buffet of RPG topics to get you through your week. My name is Zach, and the hosts joining me this evening are John Christian, Troy Sandlin, and Catherine Linkus. We're also joined by special guest Thomas Botol. Everybody say hi. Hello. Hello. Hey, guys. So let's break down how each of these podcasts is going to work. There's four courses, the appetizer, the main course, the palate cleanser, and the dessert. Each course tackles a different angle on the world of RPGs, and we'll cover exactly what those angles are when we get down to each segment. You guys ready? Ready. Let's do this. Okay. So section number one is our appetizer course, or our community pulse segment. This is two to three items from around the community that are either new products, maybe they're stuff that's trending or announcements, stuff like that. Um, So we've got three items. I've grabbed the three items for today, and we're just going to break down each one for a few minutes. Uh, Number one is actually a product that came out on the DMs Guild. Um, I thought it was a really unique product, and so, hey, let's talk about it, because we don't see a whole lot of stuff like this. Um, The product is called Unbridled. Did you guys get a chance to take I know Troy, you looked at it and, and it did. raised a lot of questions in here. <laughs> it was oh, it was very huh. interesting. Yes. So so if anybody uh, is not familiar with this, which I assume will be a chunk of our audience, Unbridled is it comes from a tweet that Jeremy Crawford put out last year that was basically something to the extent of um, we need more content about hags riding unicorns. And uh, 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 Oliver Clegg, a guy on the DMs Guild, said absolutely. And he got together a group of writers and artists, and he made a whole supplement that is really loud and colorful and vibrant and crazy called Unbridle, which is about hags and unicorns and hags riding unicorns and uh I don't know. It just it looked completely different than anything we've seen on the DMs Guild, in my oh. opinion, at least recently. So I thought it'd be what, cool to bring it up. I yeah. feel like he missed a I, he missed a very uh, important thing on this on this project. Oh, tell here. me more. Where where are the uh, unicorns riding hags? <laughs> Fair. You know what? We we don't have that. I didn't. I haven't bought the product yet. I intend to, but. Um, I think that we that may be in there. You know, we we just have to I, pick it up and see. I, okay, okay. Maybe that's part two. Unbridled two. Yes. <laughs> Electric boogaloo. <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, of course it is. Yes. Um, Catherine is is looking at this with a mixture of like wonder trepidation. and trepidation. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. That's actually that's actually pretty accurate. Um, <laughs> I yeah, my my first initial reaction was was maybe more if I'm being honest was maybe more on the tre- on the trepidation side, but the more I look at it the more it's like, "Oh, you know, the like his tattoo sleeve, the like water on there is like very like like you said vibrant and like well done and um and like it's it's just everything on here we first see it and you're like whoa but then you actually take the time to like look at it more and each of the individual elements is really interesting Mm -hmm. so like i guess at first glance i wouldn't have i wouldn't get this but but looking at it more it's like oh you know there could be some pretty cool art in here exactly there could be some pretty cool concepts in here yeah there's like 22 adventures as part of the product, and then a whole bunch oh. of stat blocks, um, hag magic items, stuff like that. And there's a unicorn race if you want to play a unicorn. So it's it's really like that if you if you find that your game is missing hags and unicorns, or especially those together, I think this is a really great product that you should you should consider picking up. I think he I think they had me at hagbaxi and catacorns to be honest with you <laughs> in this in, the, in this product description. <laughs> I'm not nice. sure if there's ever been a game that didn't need more hags or unicorns. So, <laughs> fair enough. That is fair. That, that, that is, is fair. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think I love the I love the irreverence to it. You know, that that's not not every game, not every adventure has to be serious. It can be really silly. And some of the silliest mm-hmm. stuff that I've played has been the irreverent and fun 
and just about having a good time instead of just not trying to get anything done necessarily, but just facilitating hilarity. And I, I think there's a lot of that in this. You can just you can kind of see that that's essentially what they were going for. And it looks like they did it. That's yep. really good. Yep. Like and uh, Jeremy Crawford retweeted uh, after it came out and said that he loved it. So and bought it. So, I mean, nice. it's, it's really cool. <laughs> that's, so that's fantastic. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's move on to the second one. Um, this is kind of something that's near and dear to uh, my heart, and maybe uh, Troy's raising his fists in triumph, so I think his too. Um, <laughs> the uh, official D&D Adventures League has announced um, that the Iron Titan epic for Eberron is playable at home. Yes. Troy, I know I put this on the list, but why don't you take lead on this and tell us what this means or, or what how you feel about it. Yeah, I'm really what? curious as to how they're going to do it at home. Tell me tell me more, boy. Yeah, I well, see, I'm not sure what they're going to do as far as like the the guidance for for doing it for a single table. I mean, out of all the epics I think I've ran or been a part of, I think this will probably be the easiest to do for yes. a single table. Yep. Um but oh yeah, it's just it's just so awesome. I I almost don't want to say anything to spoil it. But yeah, the Iron Titan, it's it's big, it's bombastic, it's uh gonzo. It's a lot of fun. And this has never happened before, right? I no, mean, this Troy, you've been in AL long before. Yeah, yeah. It's never happened and and there's no plans for it ever to happen again at this point. This is kind of a trial run to yes. get an epic that's playable at home. I agree with Troy. This is a perfect epic to do it on. I think that it's very easy to turn this into a one-table epic, which kind of defeats the purpose of an epic. But you still get the story, which I think maybe part of this is that this story and what happens in this epic is pertinent to the campaign, the Eberron campaign that they're putting together for Adventures League. Yeah. So. Were uh, you guys able to run this at Winter Fantasy? Yep. Yes. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah, I, yeah, I got close I, to helping. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I started before Eberron came out in third edition and then after Eberron was gone in fifth edition again, because I left D&D for quite some time. Mm. Um, so I played my first time in Eberron at Winter Fantasy as well. Ooh, Not cool. as well, I guess you guys had been, but I played the DDXP Eberron track all through Winter Fantasy. Oh, very cool. Oh, yeah. I had a blast. Cool. I played one through five at Winter Fantasy and it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's it's a great it's a great series that they're getting really good writers for, and it's going awesome. So, yeah. I would definitely recommend checking that out. Go pick it up on the DMs Guild. Um, we'll have a link in the show notes for that as well. So, the third thing I wanted to bring up is actually taking a one eighty on this, and it's looking at uh, a stream that Matt Colville did. It's not nothing to do with the DMs Guild or anything like that. It's not a product. Um, it just came a discussion that came up during that stream where he talked about fifth editions classes being toothless and toothless design not bad design not not broken or something like that it's just that uh, well the examples that he brought up were um as clerics you don't have gods or you don't have to have a god you can be whatever you want your god can i think his example was your god can be blue you can say i worship blue and it's fine because it doesn't matter um with warlocks, you have a patron that's the kind of the cornerstone of the theme of the class, and even in the flavor, it says your patron asks you to do things. But then there's nothing in the class that actually um, ties to that, and then there's nothing in any of the adventures or any of the AL stuff that they put out that has asked warlock players to um, be tied to their patron or to do things for their patron. And so what it's created is... Um, a, a plethora of classes that have a lot of flavor that says, hey, this is how this class behaves, but then no rule structure or writing or mechanics to back up that class's responsibilities to the higher being or the, the patron and or no, whatever. And no consequences for not doing what you're supposed to do. Exactly. So, yeah. John, I think you, you, you had mentioned you had something to talk about there, at least. Yeah, so... The, kind of the way that I look at it, this, uh, it's not, this is not a knock on our sainted brother, Matt Colville, whom I love <laughs> deeply, an abiding love for Matt. It's not, not a knock against him at all, but it's a really old way of looking at it, right? Yeah. It's like, back in the day, if you're a paladin, you have to be lawful good. That's the way that it is. There weren't blackguards that you could play. You couldn't be neutral good. You couldn't be anything that you wanted to. There was no lawful, neutral, 
conquest, paladin, none of that, right? So everything that was the flavor lended itself to the mechanics, and then there was the synergy back and forth. Whereas what it feels like to me is in 5th edition, they tried really hard to make something that was easily approachable and then easily reskinned. So it's like, here are the mechanics, here's some flavor that you can go with if you want to, but if not, look, just slap some paint on it and make it whatever you want to. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of curious. It almost sounds like to me that Matt looked at it from a, a negative connotation, right? I'm, I'm curious to hear what the rest of you think about that. Do you think it's a bad thing or a good thing? I actually kind of agree with Matt on on the fact that it's toothless. Um, and I, I have two kind of examples. I've had a, a player in my game that has done Warlock before, and as a DM, I kind of don't think about the patron aspect of that. And he made a comment to me uh, midway through the campaign or so. He's like, you know, I was really hoping that my patron and I would have more back and forth where he would, you know, come in and demand things of me and stuff. And it's Mm -hmm. like, I didn't even think about it. Mm -hmm. But then I had another player, different campaign, who was playing uh, a cleric of, of Helm and very much spoke about, you know, Helm this and Helm that, Helm yeah, all that kind of stuff uh, throughout the whole campaign. And I tested him as Helm, and he failed, so I stripped him of his powers. Mm. Yeah. And, and it was like, mm-hmm. looking, looking at those two examples, it's like, oh, well, a deity can have interaction with his, his flock, but a patron doesn't do anything with with his uh, toy that he now has. What's the difference and why? And I kind of look at it like this toothless design, it puts all the onus on the DM, kind of as it should in a way, but puts all the onus on the DM with very little guidance or suggestion as to what that should look like, what that interplay between patron and warlock or deity and Mm -hmm. cleric should what form that should take. So maybe, you know, maybe DMs just really don't think about it. Like, like I didn't think about it. So. The first time I had a DM that really, uh, got into the relationship between, uh, cleric and, and my clerics guys. Um, it was, it was, super eye-opening and that was the thing that really engaged me in in the game and on a level I hadn't ever been before Mm. um that was that was the main factor there were there were several factors but that was that was the main factor because because like you said like if the dm doesn't think about it then like especially as a new player I'm like am I supposed to initiate something here like do I like, it, what do I need to do to uh, bring this part of my character to light? Because, like, it, it feels weird to me. And I, I know that there are people who are like, I'm going to use the cleric for, for the example. I know there are people who are like, I don't really want to portray a specific religi- religion, even in fantasy settings. But I want to be, I want to have the healing ability. Mm. Um, so I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't want to, so, I don't want to say you can't do that, you know? Yeah. And that, I think right. you make, you both make good points. One of that's the, it's funny you say Warlock first, because that's the first thing that came to my mind. It's like, well, you know, all the rest of these, it kind of makes sense, but. Yeah, I forget about the Warlock's patron. It happens. All the time. All the yeah, time. Yeah, now, I've had it happen in, in games past where it was an integral part of the char- the character's arc, and it was important, and we played it out. Like, we, I had a guy that was, uh, he really wanted to be um, connected with Megara, the primordial of, mm. of Forgotten Realms that, that dwells beneath Hodenau in, uh, in Faerun. And uh, so it... As the the campaign progressed, I had Megara whisper 
to his character like in the night where he would have bad dreams with ill omens and started to drive him mad and but at least with that there was I think that may be part of the problem with warlock patrons in general is like you kind of have to want to know what it is that they want well Megara wanted out right Megara wanted to be wanted to escape because the dwarves said enslaved the primordial and were using it for their purposes and so at least there was an impetus for them to reach out to mortals and to imbue them with powers and then do things that were going to further their uh further their means so i think the gods in in any fantasy setting they at least have some kind of impetus right the primordials are so so otherworldly and alien sometimes i think it's hard for us to connect those things but i mean i've seen it both ways for sure I come from a, um, a background where I'm so used to the religious sex giving the powers and that being the growth of the character. So um, every single one of my characters that I play, and I play clerics a lot, I'll use the same as Catherine, <clears throat> always sort of wakes up in the morning and consciously makes those decisions. Mm-hmm. And but I also came from like third edition and I didn't get to play in first in advance and things like that. But like um, alignment was big yeah. and yeah. that's not as big of a thing now either. Mm-hmm. So alignment really tied into those gods more, made you really think about what you were doing. And it's the same kind of thing, but a different grayscale. Right. So you have if you're a, if you're a holy paladin, you're only going to take holy gods and things like that. And that's how you're getting your powers and whatever it may be. So I feel like um, that I understand why they did. It's sort of more of a general situation now, but I don't, um, I still love the idea of my players wanting to have some sort of connection with some reason why they got their powers, whether it's mm-hmm. um, yes. a wizard, a wizard has gone to a school or something and learned. I want, um, I'm a, as a DM, I'm big into having a, a legitimate backstory it doesn't have to be pages and pages, but there has to be a reason why you are better than the other people when you go out to when you go totally out to adventure. Maybe, maybe yes, you were exactly. a soldier and that's why you became a fighter, or um, but a reason why you're not just like, oh, I decided to make this character, so here we are. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Yes, I I think as far as I'm concerned, I'm I'm in the same school as everybody else, uh, or as, as some of the rest of you, and that I I started at a point where alignment was a big deal and clerics had gods, right? Um, so that's kind of the, the natural that I steer towards at this point. And even in my home campaigns, if you play a cleric or you play a paladin, and really if you play like any what I would call divine caster, you need to tell me who your god is. Bare minimum. Mm-hmm. Put your god on mm-hmm. the sheet, right? And mm-hmm. if you want to say, well, I'm tied to this god, but but it's not a major point of my backstory, that's fine. We don't have to make it a huge point, especially mm-hmm. for like a cleric. But, but I need a a starting point for your faith. I need something that you have been willing to put your name to. And I think that that's the thing that bothers me the most about this idea of like, well, anything is possible is that what it ends up turning into is what they're saying is you don't have to put your name to anything. You just be you. Right. And what I always loved was saying, put your pen to paper for this. It's just like on your on the sheets now, right? They have, and nobody fills these out, but on, on the sheets now, it has a spot for allies and enemies, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same thing. If you would put something there, it's, it's fodder, right? And it tells right. us something about your character. Whereas when we don't have to pick anything, then it's like, well, my character can be whatever I decide it's going to be in the moment. Hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That um, I can see. Because then it moves away from being... Like legitimacy to your agency, yeah, as opposed to right. just an excuse for you to do whatever you want to on a whim, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing that I, I mean, I, I, we need to kind of wrap this this part of it up. But but one of the things that I was thinking about was um, a couple of our friends, and and I won't name names just in case they they don't want people to know. But a couple of our friends went to a a con um, over last summer that was tied to Avernus, right? Avernus was came out and they went to a con that was all about that and they did three days of gaming um, and it was awesome and when they went there when they showed up you had to play a pregen and it was either a paladin or a warlock and hmm. you signed up as duos and the paladin and the warlock were chained together the fiendish warlock and the holy paladin and you played the whole weekend as this chain duo and, oh, wow. and everything was 
flavored. You around. played one whole day as the whole the duo. Yes, 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 yes. You you know more about it than I do. I'm probably so cool. I was I was lucky enough to be part of that. The oh yes, said to Advernus, um, yes convention really there cool. in michigan yeah it was a lot of fun so the the intro to like descent to advernus is you fall into advernus yeah and you are you are going to the stockade as your warlock yeah and you are being taken by a paladin and you fall into advernus and you have to work your way back out with your paladin friend yes and if <laughs> and if the paladin dies you die but if the the paladin needs you to help get out of advernus basically Gotcha. So it's a, it's a duo that you needed to go through. That's and our group, nice. our yes. group, um, our group decided that we weren't getting out anyway. And if so, our paladins wouldn't help us if we went to the stockade. <laughs> so we <laughs> sacrificed ourselves and took out the paladins in the last five minutes of the day. Nice. <laughs> so so yeah, that's, would, a, that's a story for another time. Yeah, I love that angle of, of I love that angle of Superman and Lex Luthor being forced to work together to save the world kind of thing. I yeah. love that. <laughs> and that's, that's yeah. cool. And and you know, so so I'm looking at the book, the the Descent to Avernus book, and I'm like, why couldn't we have a little write up at the beginning of that book? Not a whole lot, because I understand like Troy was saying, I think, like it's hard to know or who or what the patron is exactly, right? We don't know mm-hmm. what you could be a pa- a warlock fiend patron and we don't know which one of the fiends you're tied to right but we could have a write-up at the beginning of avernus that says if you're a fiendish warlock these are things that you're as a dm if you have one of those in your party these are things that you should keep in mind and this is how Mm -hmm. people treat your warlock in the play in the hell right um like even just that means something now that class now means something for this adventure and i know we have 12 classes and i know that it's going to be really really rough to write a blurb like that for all 12 classes and you don't i don't feel like you need to but if there was four of those or six of those for every hardcover just a little blurb for these things matter in this adventure i think it would be really cool yeah well they kind of did that with morden kane and stone of foes and um tieflings didn't they 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 bifurcated the or broke them out and branched them out into yes like like uh, like uh fiendish bloodlines yes right? yeah which gave them that they- much more flavor and more depth yeah, they also did that at the beginning of Advernus with Tieflings because, like, the AL rules for Advernus is like they got to fly and mm. they did something else. I can't remember what it is off the top of my head, but they changed it a little bit for Advernus for the Tiefling. Yeah, nice. So anyhow, uh, obviously, um, that's that's a that's a discussion that has opinions. So uh, maybe we'll pick that up again later. We'll see. Um, but let's go ahead and dive back in. To let's see, that's going to wrap it up for our appetizer. So now we're going to go into our main course. Uh, this is where we tackle a topic that's came up at one of our tables, or just something that we feel like um, is good for a more roundtable discussion. Uh, we're going to have a different lead for each one of these, and today our lead is going to be Troy. Troy, you have a mold incident to tell us I about. I do. I have a I have a mold issue that needs some abatement. Yes. Uh, okay. There's an ointment so, for that, you know. Is ooh, but it, this is DD. It's an unguent. An ungent. Yeah, gotcha. Ungent. Uh, I was I was playing uh, with my with my group uh, last uh, last week, the week before, and uh, the first room they go into, they uh, uncover an insidious brown mold. Now. For those of you out there that don't know what a brown mold is, uh, you don't find it in the Monster Manual. You find it in the Dungeon Master's Guide because it is a it is a basically a, a terrain feature or a trap. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there are no there's no hit points. There's no armor class. It just does a thing, and there's you know a specific way to get rid of the mold. Um, my players basically spent the next hour <laughs> dancing around and smacking the mold. <laughs> uh, and, it, and we're just getting used to roll 20. So, I mean, that, that may have fed into it a little bit because they're, they're rolling there to hit and damage at the same time. So there, so, so does a, you know, a 12 hit. It's like, well, yeah, 
it's it's mold. <laughs> and it's like, and as I'm describing, you know, yeah, you're sl- you're slapping your your rapier into this pile of mold, and it's like sp- scattering everywhere, and I mean, it a little bit gets on you or something. It's like, oh, well, I did six points of damage. And it's like, oh, okay, well, you you really can't tell because you just sp- splashed mold everywhere. So, and round after round, they just kept dancing around this mold, and I had thought, okay, they're gonna have this mold. I've got a wizard in the group, and the wizard's go-to spell is the Ray of Frost cantrip. He's cast it, like, every combat, first thing out of the gate, ever since we started playing with these characters. So it's like, you know, as soon as it gets to him in initiative, this brown mold is toast, right? He did everything but cast Ray of Frost. (laughs) Yes. And everybody's just like, well, we have to go around, we have to do this. There's two doors, one door the brown mold is in front of, and for whatever reason, half the group runs towards that door, taking the, the damage from the brown mold. You know, it was just, it was a mess. It was a mess. <laughs> awesome. And, fi- and finally, as, as a parting shot, he goes, well, as I'm leaving the door, or leaving through the door, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cast Ray of Frost with it. Literally does one point of damage to it as, it, as it's rolled, but unneeded because it kills the mold. <laughs> So I got lots of, are you kidding me? Are you serious? We just did all that stuff and all he had to do, you know, blah, blah, blah. So here's, here's where I'm at with this thing. Did I do something wrong? Did I not portray this mold in the, in the proper manner to inform my players that, hey, maybe you should just leave it alone or, you know, stop hitting it with weapons because it's not doing anything. Or, like in a, in a previous episode that we talked about, was this a teaching moment, and did I do the right thing? Hmm. Yeah, that's tough. Um, that's one of those circumstances where the players are spinning their wheels, and they just uh, you, it's maybe they just don't have enough information to make a good decision. And so sometimes you have to project a bit, right? So I, I'm trying to put myself in your, in your shoes, which is tough. Uh, but <laughs> I have, uh, <laughs> size ten wide is all I've yeah. got here, man. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and but putting your putting myself in your shoes, um, maybe like an insight role, like what's your gut telling you about this? Because that's the kind of the thing that's that's really tough. Is as imaginative as your players are, and as immersed as they may be, sometimes sometimes they just don't see the same things in their mind's eye that you do that seem really really obvious to you, right? And you've described everything as best you can. And sometimes maybe like there's just what's like what's my gut or what's my player's gut saying right or is maybe it's a a, a an unsolicited arcana roll from them saying hey why don't you keep rolling me an arcana okay well here's what you know about brown mold in dungeons right they this is the the thing so they've already been punished enough by the trap right <laughs> <laughs> so now you got to get the shepherd's crook and yank them off the stage to keep them from killing themselves right that's the only thing that I could probably that's what I would where I would probably go with it and that that kind of teeters on do you how obvious do you make it like do you uh so and so why don't you go and roll this or so and so why don't you try try and roll that or do you have their character sheet in front of you you know what their bonuses are you let them hear you roll the dice so they know that something happened on on that side of the dice on that side of the uh the the tent or the uh or the the dm screen and then you can go off of that and say okay well based on what i'm what you know you know this right so that way you kind of you don't lose the verisimilitude of the moment the other thing I'll, I'll, I'll say, and, and I agree that, that, yeah, if you can pull player knowledge into it or play, make it a playable moment, that's great. Um, but the other thing I'll say is that brown mold is weird within the confines of the game, right? Mm-hmm. It, it is very strange. It is a very strange thing. Yeah. And, and the you know, when you brought it up at the beginning, if it was just a monster, if you were like, oh, yeah, they met a gelatinous cube, you wouldn't then need to give like a clarifying paragraph about what what that is right with brown mold you had to say well it's a creature thing but it's actually a trap and it doesn't you know like it exists kind as a trap yes but it's like a living trap so it's kind of in its own little category right Mm -hmm. and and so yeah like to be honest to be honest that's one big reason why i've left it alone and i don't put it in any of my games is because i'm like it doesn't work within the confines of the rules that we establish for everything else 
Hmm. Wouldn't it be like something like others, to quote Egon, spores, molds, and fungi? Where it's like a, if you have a, sp- a field of mushrooms that uh, that give off spores and they make the players crazy or sleepy or something like that, isn't that kind of the same the same thing though? It you, is. You, you could, you could, and and I will say you know eventually I did kind of it's like you notice that your 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 weapons are are hitting it obviously because it's just laying on the floor, but you don't see it dwindling. You don't see anything dying. You're just you're just spreading it around. It, but that didn't. They 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 kept going. They just kept. Right. Well, all I can do is hit it. It's like you're you're not really doing anything. You could, but you know, it's go for it. Yeah, I mean, like like I'm thinking right now. Kind of, you brought up that, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say like there are like gas spores, right? That's a that's a plant monster. Yes. That mm-hmm. has a zero foot movement speed as a fly. But it's the spores, right, of tens yes. of feet. And then there's also the Shrieker. Is that what it's called? I think that's what it's called. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Shrieker is a CR0 um, that has a zero movement speed, and all it does is shriek. It can't even hurt anyone, right? But right. both of those are monsters, and brown mold yes. is a trap. So Brown mold is a trap. I would say, Troy, that from my own opinion – the flaw or the problem isn't with you. The problem is, or, or, or how you handled it necessarily. The problem is that it's a thing that doesn't work with the rules and your players were trying to use the rules to, to combat it. Mm. Okay. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not super passionate about it, about the brown mold being a bad thing necessarily, but you may do make a good point, Zach, about if it's not, it doesn't operate under the same confines of everything else that they like traps clearly work like this. Monsters are inside of this box, and this is the way they work. This is—it's the the weird spot in the Venn diagram where it's a combination of the two, and they haven't figured that out yet, or how to how to bypass or, it as a trap. Or yeah. is this a situation of there's not all that many traps really being thrown around in Five E? Mm, that's I mean, also true. I mean, back yeah. back in the day, there was traps everywhere. Yeah. You had your ten foot pole. And you know you check for traps and you know your your fifty foot of rope and all that good stuff because you were looking for these kinds of things. But now it's kind of it's not. I feel like most modules that I've run, there's not a lot of traps other than I'm going to check to see if this chest is trapped. I'm going to check and see if this door is trapped. You know, they need to they need to throw in some more good old pit traps and and uh, I don't know. Murder holes up in the ceiling, you know, things like that to give you. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah, they just splashing in brown mold. And I will say that yeah. the brown mold was reflavored. I didn't say it, it has a, a different quality look to it. Just in case anybody knew what brown mold was. <laughs> I grew up. I grew up in third edition, and my brother was played with me. And my brother is one of the games I still play to this day. And um, he said the same thing to me about six months into playing fifth edition was. We don't have, like, I'm, I'm used to looking for traps around every corner. Mm-hmm. And there is, like, we've paid a lot of the modules for 5th edition. Mm. And there's a trap once in a blue moon where we were used to traps every 10% of the dungeon or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We were used to every door being trapped and used to every tile being ish- iffy. And, uh, and that's something that I sort of miss, and I end up in my homebrew games changing quite a bit. Now, Catherine, you... Uh, I'm not going to pick on you, um, but but you are our you are our person who came in with fifth edition, right? Mm-hmm. So so I I would love to hear your thoughts on traps yes. and brown mold and all that because I mean like like I know what a ten foot pole is good for, but but I don't <laughs> I, I don't know that I've had a player a new player ever say, well, I've got a 10 foot pole in my bag. Let me use it to check for traps. So. Nobody buys <laughs> 10 foot poles. Yeah. <laughs> Understand. Yeah. Um, I, I, I didn't think about it until I, it was, it was traps in general were just not something that crossed my mind until I played with a DM who um who did have more experience with other editions um and and then after after we played through like a session with him i was like oh oh this is fun <laughs> like this it means that 
more skills, have more opportunities to to be used even during just, you know, a a fight pit cave type scenario. Mm. Like I mean, I mm. guess that's what I called it in my head, but like a a cave a a um a dungeon that's basically like a bunch of uh combat encounters in a row. Yeah. Um it was more fun to have those obstacles and um have different people be able to kind of like lead the charge based on what the specific trap was and and things like that so i i think it'd be really nice to have more and i've i've i i just tried to run about a month ago i just tried to run somebody through um a like secret lair type of place Mm. Uh, which should have had traps all over the place, but <laughs> I, I didn't, I didn't feel like I had much of a, uh, I didn't feel like I had any knowledge of of what would make sense to put where. So mm. I just put like a couple really obvious ones. So yeah, I guess the short answer is I wish there was more. <laughs> um, Catherine, one of the things yeah. that I've done personally in my games. Is on the DM on the DM's guild or drive through RPG and things like that. There's p- mm-hmm. people for like four or five bucks. You can buy like a whole book of 200 traps. Yes, Ooh, nice. And yes. it's great nice. for if you are hitting you're hitting a roadblock, and you need mm-hmm. I need a trap that makes sense. And you flip through and you get three or four of them ready to go, and you use them nice. when you think they're ready. Um, yeah. They do the same thing with like there's a there's a book called Taverns inns taverns and tap rooms or something like that which is great for if your if your party throws a wrench in your in your plans and they go a different way and you need a different inn somewhere else mm-hmm. it's a great way to pick it in quick and say oh this is there in the middle of the road here you go and it has everything nice. fleshed out for you um and i know that's one of the things that i love looking for on kickstarter or it's like the griffin saddlebags you guys talked about a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. yeah, um, yeah if i if i need something quick that i don't have time to think about but I, I, I overlooked this thing. I can look through it quick the day before or something like that and throw it in my game and it's good to go and nobody knows what it is. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I think for me, it, it boils down to not to, to diverge to, or to, um, go off topic too much, but we're talking about traps. I think that's part of it too, right? Is players have gotten really smart. Not that they were ever dumb, but they've gotten more sophisticated in what they what they expect and what seems off to them. You know, their, their nose is a little bit more refined as to like, um, like uh, I think to Catherine's point, what I, what I would call um, dungeon ecology, right? Mm-hmm. Why is the do- goblin here? This is not Gygaxian where you walk into one room and you have a completely different set of monsters and there's a trap on every single door. And all, like, like, why is there a trap there in the first place? Why would this person make it that much mm-hmm. more difficult for themselves to go through the door? They have to disarm <laughs> the trap with the needle and the lock that shoots them in the finger and poisons them and all this other stuff. So a lot of the times for me, that's what I agonize over whenever I'm doing dungeon design is the why. Because it probably is just me. My players probably don't care. They're probably a lot like you, Catherine. With I want more traps. Just <laughs> throw more traps at me. Don't worry about why the puzzle is there. I don't care. I just want to do the pu- a puzzle, right? Right. So for me, I'm like, well, no. Maybe it's not a trap. Maybe it's a spider that's hidden behind the doorknob. And they don't. They didn't notice it because they were paying too much attention to like, <laughs> mechanical traps or something like that, you know? So um, nice. you got to get really, really... Really, really um, not smart, but sneaky, I guess is a better word, with your players to, to keep them off the scent. Uh, and to where they're, to kind of, it has to pass that sniff test of, eh, that doesn't make any sense. Because I don't want it to detract from the story or, or pull them out, you know? Right on. Right on. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's kind of the, the why. Circle, like, circling back to that real fast, the why is is why I was kind of like frozen up. Uh, even with the list of possible traps that I think is in the DMG that you can like roll for, um, I like I looked at those and I just looked at this this you know list and I was like I don't know which one of these would make the most sense, um, so I didn't. But um, <laughs> but you saying that like oh okay I guess I guess you know at least to start might as well just throw some in there, they'll you yeah. know, it'll still be fun. Right. Yep. Okay. Well, hey, that was 
This is a great, Troy, I appreciate you bringing that up because it just rolled and rolled and rolled and rolled, and that's awesome. Um, we should do like a... And so did they. So did my players. They just rolled and rolled and rolled and rolled and rolled and rolled. We should do like an after-dinner drinks episode where we just talk about traps. And just like... No, oh, I would love that. I think that would be a lot of fun. Um, so let's... Um, we, we all have those stories where our players went time after time after time again. I have yes. a great one from Winter Fantasy this year. Where I was a player and we just couldn't get anything done for an hour. Yeah. Yeah. So let's see. Um, we're running a little behind, but I think we've got a little bit of time. So I'll just condense this story and we'll do a So, so our palate cleanser is another story where we, we talk about it and this one could be more lighthearted or, or more condensed, I, I suppose. Um, and what I was going to bring to you guys today, um, the short version of it is, um, in my current campaign, I have allowed them access to the deck of many things, um, but oh. but I curate it um, because the the DMG says that you don't always find all the cards. Right. So so I pick three to five when they find these cards. And I pick which ones of them are there. I don't pick which ones they draw if they choose to draw. But I, I say, I'm like, okay, these are the four that they find. There we go. Um, so, the, things have happened. But we'll save those things for another time. I'm curious about you guys. Do you have opinions, thoughts, or ideas about the deck of many things and also condensing it? So I, I'll start here. Um, I have had my, most of my players know of the deck of many things. They know of it through critical role. If they're newer players yeah. and they know of it through um, older editions. So they know how crazy it is. So I have had, I have not given any of my players the deck of many things, but mm -hmm. what I have done is given them as many magical card decks as possible. Hmm. So oh, every yes. time they are super uncomfortable about pulling any cards. <laughs> so yeah. they've gotten multiple tarot decks. They've gotten multiple um, deck of illusions and all kinds of things that, that I can think of that just, just fix playing cards. And every single time it's like three sessions before they finally pull something out. And they're like, well, that's not what it is. <laughs> that's yeah, awesome. I've actually, I've actually incorporated the deck of, of uh, many things into one game, but it was a one shot. And it was at the very end. It was essentially what they ended up finding. It was part of the hoard or the, the treasures that they found. And so it was kind of a prologue for them of, uh, like, okay, and then here's what the, the dot, dot, dot of what happens to their characters afterwards. This one gets, you know, transported to the abyss, the 500th circle of the abyss, and this one gets trapped in the void somewhere and suffocates and dies. And, uh, but this guy right here, he, be, he became a, a 50th level, you know, so uh, it was like a really good um, way of, uh, like a, it's like, well, I know it was like a animal house. Right, you got the text yeah. at the bottom. What happened to Bluto? What happened to every, this guy? What happened to the other guy? Right, this essentially what ended up happening. That was the prologue for them. Was the deck of many things. That's nice. that reminds me a lot of the game Talisman, right? Yes, where you yes. go around the board yeah. and at the very end you draw a card, and it doesn't win. It doesn't end the game. It just maybe ends it for you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> How about a quick game of Talisman? Yeah. yeah. I've never used the deck of many things in a game, but I have been the victim of a deck of many things. And it like they found it, and there was the two of us standing there, and the the first guy pulled a card, and I don't remember what what he got, but it was like it was it was something that was invisible. It was you know nobody could see the the change to him. Mm. So it was like, huh, that's weird. So I drew, and I I my character wasn't incredibly smart to begin with, <laughs> and. The, the card that I drew dropped my intelligence like a point or two lower. So it's not like anybody <laughs> noticed. So what a lackluster deck you ended up with. <laughs> yeah. It was just kind of like, huh? And nobody else would draw. Nobody else would draw any cards. So that was. Yes. 
Yes. That's delightful. Well, my players have, uh, they drew the void on one of them, so I'll leave it at that. Oh, but, right. but, oh, uh, fantastic. Yep. It was, it's, oh, chef's kiss. It made the campaign. Like, there, that's a focal <laughs> point of the campaign was that card. Nah. And we talk about it every session. Um, he lost his character to drawing a card. Um, delightful. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I thought that was just be a fun little topic of discussion. I knew everybody has <laughs> some sort of deck of many things, story or opinion. So, uh, okay, let's move on. Let's let's wrap this up with some hidden gems. These are the dessert. This is tidbits that we fell in love with this past week. It could be a podcast, a discord, a product, an actual play, a tweet, a YouTube, anything. Um, just pitch us your pitch us your hidden gem. Um, let's see. Let's start with Troy. What do you got for us? Well, I ha- I have uh, I have been a subscriber to uh, a a kind of a loot box type thing called Dungeon in a Box for quite mm-hmm. a while. Um, I got drawn into it because of the uh, skinny minis that are in, that they have in there, mm-hmm. and it's it's uh, they they look fantastic, double sided, flat plastic, you know, and I'm I'm a paper minis guy anyway, so that's right up my alley. And each box has a a a module. It's got a map, at least one map, very thick, durable. I, I, I guess it's paper. I mean, it's it's yeah. It doesn't feel like paper, but yeah, it's it's very well done. You get uh, dungeon tiles like what wizards used to you know ha- put out in the, in the past, and it all centers around the adventure mm-hmm. that's in the box. And it doesn't matter when you subscribe; you always start at box one mm-hmm. and move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and with all of this new free time that I have for some strange reason, <laughs> I now can finally run the dungeon in a box. And so I've actually started looking looking into it and reading through the book. And of course, it, the, the the first adventure is your standard your your caravan guards, you know. But it's very flavorful. You mm-hmm. you get. There's charts in there that you create the caravan itself. What kind of what types of uh, wagons you've got? What's inside them? Um, what's the disposition of the drivers or, or the the cart owners? Um, then it's got like charts where you roll to see, you know, random encounters on the road, and then the big the big encounter at the end, and then you make it to the city twenty days later. Hmm. Uh, very well done. I am extremely impressed with dungeon in a box mm-hmm. um so i would say the fact that they any... always started at number one is super awesome i didn't know yes. that oh yeah yeah the, the, and it goes really cool. you get you get 12 you know you get one a month the first 12 is an entire campaign from i think levels one to ten their second year takes you to level 20 hmm and apparently they are in the works of a third year for hmm. for some stuff. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm just really stoked. We're, we're starting tomorrow, and I'm excited. Awesome. Yeah. Very cool. So uh, Dungeon in a Box, go get it. Go Dungeon get it. in a Box, links in the show notes. Uh, let's see, Thomas, you got something for us. Yeah, so I was, this Christmas, I was at... Um, not Barnes and Noble, one of the one of the chain bookstores with my wife and my kids picking out kids books, um, and I came across the, like their RPG section, and I I had almost everything they had, of course, and I found a book called The Monsters Know What They're Doing. Yes, and it is a fantastic book for DMs. Yes, so it especially is. for for lower level monsters, lower CR monsters, it talks you through how kobolds can be a dangerous uh, encounter or goblins and what they would do to lure um, NPC or PCs into a fight. And it, 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 it really brings flavor back to the, the kicking posts of the creatures that you might not have, that your party expects to run through. So it shows about how, um, how cranium rats, like is a great example, are are minions to mind flayers, and how they take control of other, they psionically do other rats, and it just basically it takes the stack block of a of a, a monster, and it shows you how to really use those against your players, because the players are going all out against you. Mm-hmm. So it's a great way to um, 
instantly make you a better dungeon master with very little work. It's the same way with, I was just talking to Catherine about the, the traps, anything that I can use to make my players have a better time is always a good thing. And this is, this has made them think more about tactics and not think about just running into a room of goblins or this or that. And it's been really fantastic. Hmm. And it is, it is published or it is uh, written by Keith Amon or Amon. Yeah. What's crazy uh, about you telling us about that is that literally this afternoon around two o'clock is the first time I'd heard about that book from a friend of mine. And he was like, you need to go, you need to read this book. And now you're talking about it now. So uh, I am furiously trying to find it on Amazon or any anywhere that I can get a hold of it. Uh, because that's all I needed at that point. I'm oh, excited. Uh, yeah. It's I have it fun. too. Yeah. Love it. Awesome. Okay. Monsters know what they're doing. Uh, let's see. I'll, I'll go ahead and I'll do mine now. Um, I stumbled across a really cool uh, browser extension today or this week. Um, it's called Beyond 20. Uh, showed it to Troy. Um, so we're both fans now. Yeah, it's awesome. Basically, um, if you run Chrome or uh, uh, Firefox and you are a Roll20 fan and a D&D Beyond fan, this extension marries the two and it's really well done. Like, it's it'll allow, as long as you have both of them open in the window, it's going to run really well and you're going to be able to click on things on uh, D&D Beyond, and it's going to immediately port them over into Roll20. Um, you can roll, you can do everything. So, um, highly recommend it, especially if you bought a lot of D&D Beyond content that you want to be able to use on Roll20. Yes, makes that's things awesome. very, very nice. Yep, that's called Beyond20. Uh, that's and then, really cool. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, let's see. John, do you have something for us? Oh yeah, okay, so uh, my publicly avowed man crush on Joe Manganiello has gone to like new heights now. He posted on Facebook a video of him opening a new commissioned art piece of uh, Archon, his uh, his Dungeons and Dragons character, and it was painted by Larry Elmore, the man, the myth, the legend. Oh. Uh, again, my favorite artist probably because of Dragonlance, but whatever. Old school artist <laughs> and it was I nerded out Pretty hardcore, but I think what was it was adorable watching him open it because it was the first time that he had actually seen it, and uh, he went for, on a, like a fifteen minute long diatribe about how much it looked like a lot of Elmore's old stuff and how old school it looked and how much he loved it. And this guy's Dragonlance cred goes really, really deep. Um, he actually he saw I went and met him at Gen Con a couple of years ago, and he signed my player's handbook with uh, his usual thing is hail. Um, um, Hail Tiamat, but he wrote Hail Tachesis. And if you know Dragonlance, you know that that's the oh, yeah. Dragonlance version of uh, the Dragon Queen. And so awesome. that, was, that was a treat. Uh, but yeah, but it was, I loved it. And it was uh, the, the best 15 minutes I spent that day on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a really yes. cool painting. Really well it done. It is cool. Yeah. It is very yeah. nice. I have just fallen in love with Dragonlance. I have picked up Dragonlance for the first time in my life. Oh yeah. Not three months ago. I wish I could be you right now. <laughs> just all over again. <laughs> the first time is so sweet. Well, guys, that's, that's gonna awesome. wrap us up for this week. So really appreciate you guys tuning in. You can definitely check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Bite Size Game. And we will see you next week. Bye. See you everybody. Have a good one. Bye guys. Take care. Take care.